0: If you're a leader who's aiming for your professional development culture to be outstanding, then you are going to be buzzing with ideas after this episode. Hey everyone, I'm Shane Leaning and welcome back to Global Ed Leaders, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I'm an organisational coach and in this show I learn with the teachers, leaders and innovators making a difference in international schools around the world. My guest today is Cindy Adair, the cross-campus assistant principal for continued professional learning at Bangkok Patana School in Thailand. Now Cindy's got an amazing background in sports and education management, and in her current role, she leads professional development at her school, while also managing the school's professional Twitter account at Patina CPL, which shares valuable insights and developments in educational practices. And we jumped into our conversation today with Cindy explaining a little about Paterna's innovative approach to professional growth. Let's jump in.
1: A year ago, we decided to undertake a review of our performance management. Like many schools, we had a pretty um, sort of standard approach. We had a set of um, professional standards that we um, collectively built together. And then uh, we had a system of learning observations where leaders would go in and watch people teach. And then provide feedback against those standards. Um, and so the first step was to undertake some research. And what we started to find when we were doing that research that that old kind of top-down system was probably not as modern as we thought it was. And uh, also, there's a huge body of research at the moment about evidence-based education. So. Um, whilst we had built these professional standards and anecdotally they were robust and, and very helpful and they'd evolved over time through everyone's collective wisdom, they weren't necessarily tried and tested through research. And so those two things set us on a path of starting to reimagine what it could look like and also how we, we were really keen to make sure that we were creating a sense of um, teacher ownership over um, their professional growth. We were really impressed in particular by the work of Chris, and I'm I'm going to probably butcher his last name here, Chris Moyes. He's got some great research in this area and uh, one of the things that really spoke to me is that professional growth is about becoming better. It's not about just being good. And so our old system was very much about being good, whereas actually asking ourselves the question of how are you going to be a better teacher or a better leader this year than you were last year? And keep that progression going um, became a really powerful driver. So then we set about trying to design a cycle whereby staff would be asked to sort of reflect on their learning using some different tools. And I can talk about which tools we ended up selecting in a minute and then to set their own targets and then how they would uh, engage in instructional coaching or professional growth conversations around those targets at key points through the year and engage in CPL and then The biggest shift was at the end of the year, and we're not there yet in our first full cycle, so I can't talk about what we've done. I just have to talk about what we are planning to do, um, is that instead of, you know, that sort of somewhat scary one-to-one meeting with your line manager behind closed doors, we are going to instead be asking teams to sit together and every staff member is going to bring a one-page summary of how they've become a better teacher this year than they were last year, their professional growth. And they're going to share that in a team situation. And that's going to be the end point, not some sort of hidden away, scary, documented um, final conversation. The idea then that is that people can make connections between what they've been working on and maybe what other people have been working on. And it becomes a lot more about being owned by the staff and for the staff.
0: I really love this. I love what you're up to there. And I know when I was lucky enough to meet you in person the other week in Bangkok, we Actually met at the festival education, yeah. and I was privileged to come and see a little bit of what it looks like. Now I know you said it's early days, but the boldness to move towards a system of looking at growth rather than outcomes, I think, is brilliant, and it does match a lot of what the evidence base says works. Yeah, I think so many schools, including yours, it sounds like before, were hooked on this ideal of what good looks like, and then measuring the gap between perceived good and what the teachers doing. It's like um, it's like a deficit model yeah. from the start, isn't it? It's yeah. like assuming the teacher's not good enough, and we're just trying to close the gap. But what you're suggesting is that you're looking at growth. How much have you become better during your time as a teacher? Am I capturing that right?
1: Absolutely, and I think it is a you know it is a a, a risk because I think it, some of your listeners might be sitting there thinking, "Well, oh, that's all well and good, but how do you have any accountability to that and that kind of thing?" we are handing the trust over to the teachers and saying, we selected you, we recruited you because we believe in you and we already think you're fantastic. Um, Now we want to help you just to take that little step further and to help to build and deepen your practice. Um, And so hopefully then they'll feel huge ownership over that. And as we know, when people feel ownership over things, they have a lot more motivation engagement. So it's early days. We will be evaluating every step and seeing how we go. And I'm sure there'll be many iterations still to come of what what really works and what little safeguards and extra steps and supports we need to build. But yeah, we're really excited about it.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited too. It's a really exciting move that you've taken. I think you're right. Many schools would be thinking about accountability. I think that's a conversation I've had with many schools before. You know, we still need to make sure What's happening in the classroom is good. But from my understanding of what you're doing, it doesn't mean that if a teacher's really struggling or really struggling to meet minimum standards, there would still be a potential process there, right? Like you're not just letting go.
1: No, definitely not. So um, there's, there's two pieces of rigor to the system, if you like. The first is through the coaching conversations that they're going to have. So obviously you'll be able to clearly see with a teacher when they come to your coaching conversation, you know, whether they've arrived prepared for that conversation, the kind of um, uh, evidence that they're offering, videos they're sharing, things like that. So that would be the first sort of checkpoint where you might get a little red flag going, oh, this process might not be working for this staff member. But so far we've found that people are really engaged because they're in charge. They're bringing their own issues to the table but if there were real concerns like base level concerns, we have a parallel process, um, which is sort of your traditional performance support with, you know, directive action plans and, and support in place of people that then escalates in, in if those improvements are not seen. But yeah, we're hoping that not too many people on uh, in that system. And I mean we are trying to actively decouple them. I think sometimes one of the issues with performance management is that people lack trust because they're used for both purposes. They can be used for the, the failing staff member as well as the thriving one. And so by separating them, we're hoping that people will be you know, motivated by the fact that they are on this professional growth journey rather than on something that could also be used as a punitive tool.
0: Yes, that's so important to decouple. I guess understandably for many leaders, it's quite hard sometimes mm. because there are many systems really baked in. So I think By structuring this new focus on growth, you've given that opportunity to slowly pull those systems apart, which is just brilliant. Maybe we could dig into a little bit more about this growth system, because I know you haven't just started from scratch. You've integrated a few tools like, for example, Walkthroughs by Tom Sherrington in Primary a great teacher toolkit by evidence-based education. And I know you also use Jim Knight's Impact Cycle. So there's three tools there. I'd be really interested to know how they integrate. I think a lot of leaders will be fascinated by your approach.
1: Yeah, so um, obviously a cycle alone is not going to drive engagement. When we decided that we were going to uh, lean into sort of evidence-based tools as opposed to our kind of professional standards that we'd built over the years, we went um, and looking for some of those different tools that were in the market. Um, the Great Teaching Toolkit was a really good fit for our secondary school. Um, and so that is a lens through which teachers uh, set their objectives for the year. Um, the Great Teacher Toolkit includes student surveys where you can do anonymous student surveys to get feedback on your own practice. Um, And you get, as a teacher, you get feedback on your practice, which can help you to isolate which uh, area of the Great Teacher Toolkit you might want to look into in terms of improvement, where you're going to get the biggest gains. Um, And then as a leadership team, we get a report where we can't see the individual teachers' names. So it's very safe. It's not Big Brother. uh, But we can see trends across our school as well. So we can plan interventions and guide Um, different teams and things towards certain areas of the Great Teacher Toolkit in order to strengthen their skills. So the secondary school used the Great Teacher Toolkit as um, a way of setting their objectives and gathering data in a safe way from their students about how they're doing um, in terms of their practice. We then, in the primary school, the better fit for them was the walkthroughs tool by Tom Sherrington. Um, It uh, has a range of different strategies Again, across um, a group of different groups of topics, and it's very explicit, it's almost checklist oriented. So, each thing is broken down into its steps. And actually, as a primary school, our first step was to collectively decide on a pattern of seven. So, they isolated it in the walkthroughs book, seven of the strategies which they thought were absolute non negotiables for every classroom, and uh, they had this great middle leaders meeting where everyone was kind of bidding for their favourite strategy and then everyone um, by the end we'd agreed this pattern of seven. And so that was our starting point. Everyone was using the pattern of seven. And then as we've got more comfortable with the walkthroughs tools and uh, Tom's bought out multiple books as well in that time, uh, the walkthroughs is now the lens through which the primary staff choose the strategy that they're going to work on. And then where Jim Knight comes in is he is our sort of instructional coaching guru. And he helps to drive those instruction, the structure of those um, instructional coaching conversations. So when the staff come in with their strategy in mind from either the toolkit or from the walkthroughs, they will go through the peers model where they're setting those um, goals. um, And then they'll talk through their sort of their improvement and their learning and all of those things in line with Jim's best practice model for what instructional coaching looks like. So whilst it does, uh, it might sound at first like we've kind of gone really (laughs) off-piste and are doing something quite unstructured, actually we've got some great tools in place that make it quite structured. And it was really interesting because we mapped both the Great Teacher Toolkit and the walkthroughs against our old, like sort of anecdotal, developed over time professional standards, and there was a huge crossover. So, you know, our practice over those 15 years had surfaced the same things that Tom in his work in evidence-based education in their work had done. They just maybe had linked it to evidence better and maybe made it more clear and and had more clarity. So we didn't feel like we had, you know, thrown something out unnecessarily. We felt like we'd then gathered a bit more clarity through that process.
0: Cindy, this is fascinating because I think so many leaders would naturally just want one system rather than three different in one school a lot would want just a one-school solution. And each of those toolkits you've mentioned actually offer a whole-school solution. But I think it's a real confidence in what you're doing to have the three. I'm interested to know how they complement each other and whether you would say that that works better to pick and choose your tools.
1: So where we went with it was um, we do have our our primary principal and our secondary principal. And um, they they come to the table with our cross-campus principal and together they look at what's going to be best for the children right now um, in their learning. And then the thing that we worked hard to do was then build a cycle that was complementary. So it doesn't really matter what tool you put in. To be honest, it doesn't even need to be one of those. I think the coaching is the common one. So the gym night stuff is common to both, high-quality conversations where you really in a dialogical approach where you're handing the the conversation over to the teacher and they're really in control and they're bringing the reality that they're seeing in their classroom to you, that's common to both schools. And I think that that is key in any professional development, right? It's the quality of the dialogue that really enacts the change. The way that you brought the goal to the table is just the lens that you're viewing it through. Um, I would say that the the real strength of the walkthroughs is how accessible it is. Um, it's really easy to understand, it's highly visual, Um, it's got lots of pictures and it's very checklist oriented. So for um, a lot of our our primary students and and staff, that was a really accessible tool to pick up and run with. For our secondary school group, the GTT appealed a little bit more and, and probably because our secondary staff are using data a little bit more, they're working against exam boards criteria and things like that, their heads are a little bit more that way inclined and the GTT tool is a little bit more in that kind of package. It talks about survey data and um, all of that kind of thing and it's, it's less visual and it's more of a lens and it's got a little bit more freedom which makes it when you're talking about people who are teaching in uh, faculties as opposed to year groups, um, it seemed to be a better fit for them and those principals quite rightly went into bat for the tool that they thought suited their students best. And then it was our job to try and create a cycle that could accommodate both of those things so that there was plenty of common ground. We're all moving through the cycle together. We're all having high-quality conversations following Jim's model. But it doesn't really matter what lens you're looking through to bring your goal to the table. It has to work for you. And actually, we have another set of staff in our school, like lots of people do, um, who are called our cross-campus staff. They're people like librarians, sports coaches you know, the non-traditional educators in our group, and they may not use either tool. They might have a framework from their area of expertise. You know, the swim coach might be using, you know, the American Swim Coaches and Teachers Association Level 3 curriculum or something, and they will bring their goals to the table through that lens. So, yeah, common things are the cycle itself and the deadlines and the kind of structure and flow of the year, the coaching conversations, but the tools can fit in Depending on your preferences, I think.
0: I think that's brilliant. And listeners, you should know that you're also a swim coach yourself, right, Cindy? So it wasn't just that you plucked that out of. Oh, yeah. yeah it the makes example. sense. You follow.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, it makes sense. And in fact, follows your earlier point saying it's not about doing things to teachers, but it's about giving them a voice and choice. And it sounds like you're doing that almost giving that voice and choice to the phases and departments, giving them autonomy in their practice. It's not just a one size fits all solution, but you're listening to the needs of the different phases. For example, the difference between primary and secondary. And as a whole school leader, I guess you're going to have a much easier time implementing with success than if they felt they were having something done to them that they were uncomfortable with. Cause all of these tools, like you say, they're brilliant And even when you said you started doing the mapping, you realized there was a lot of overlap. Those are big names you've just mentioned, Cindy. And I'd love to talk about this because it's pretty interesting. So I follow Patterna School's PD Twitter account or X account. And I watch a lot of the time with envious eyes because there is so much PD on offer, but also because of those big names that you talk about. I think a lot of schools would look at your packed PD calendar and think, gosh, I wish we had the ability to do something like that. But I know it's not just that you've got a healthy PD budget, right? It's, it's partly that, but I think you do some clever things to enable your school to access these kinds of great speakers, such as the nights, such as the Tom Sherringtons of the world. Would you be able to talk a little bit about this and how that works for you?
1: Yeah, first I have to acknowledge that we've got a school that really believes in PD. Um, the fact that my role even exists, and I'm, I am, uh, so I'm an assistant principal for professional learning, um, is a little bit unique in itself. Um, and so that gives me affords me time to really invest in the development of PD across the school. Um, also, we do have a healthy budget. And we're also blessed with some really lovely conferencing facilities, which means that. And coupling that with being based in Bangkok, which is a nice, easy, centralised location, easy to travel through. There are a lot of stars aligning (laughs) to make it um, easy for us to do this job. But I guess what I would say to other PD leads is a lot of what we achieve is through um, sort of strategic partnerships with speakers. So um, the sort of standard model of what does it cost to bring you here? Okay, we'll pay you the fee, bring you in. Um, do a talk and then leave again is uh, sort of only the starting point of the conversation for us when we're hosting people. What we like to do instead is to kind of partner with those speakers and educational consultants and say, you know, how can we put together a week or two weeks in the city that really works for you? And then uh, we can engage them to do student events. We can engage them to do parent workshops. We can engage them to do PD workshops where we bring in external fee-paying um, staff from other smaller schools that maybe wouldn't have the resources to bring someone to their school of that stature. That also brings with it an income stream, which helps to supplement the visit. We can. We also say to them, you know, what other schools can we connect you to so that you can have other days with other schools? And then we share costs on things like flights and accommodation to make it more accessible for everyone. So, yeah, if you had to shoulder the costs of, a, of bringing a large... Uh, uh, a well-known speaker to your organisation all alone and all you did was use them within your school, um, then you're potentially missing an opportunity to kind of leverage that relationship. And what we've found is that that's a win-win for everybody. The speaker ends up making great contacts throughout the city. Um, They make a lot more money from their visit overall. They probably enjoy it a bit more. It's a bit more variety. And they tend to want to come back. And that's where we've been able to create multi-year agreements and multi-year kind of relationships with people by being a little bit creative in terms of how we structure their visits.
0: I think that's really smart, but it's nice that you say, of course, that every context is a little bit different. Maybe if you're in, say, a small town and that's a little bit more difficult to access
1: yeah, we can't ignore that. That's what we're not, you know, we are definitely very blessed to be starting that journey from that point.
0: <laughs> and I guess you want to be careful recommending this to too many schools because in Bangkok at least you're leading the way, right? So uh
1: Yeah, exactly. Can you just make sure no one from Bangkok is listening to this call?
0: Maybe we need to make two versions, one for the Bangkok schools and one for others. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's really brilliant, and I think it's a valuable piece of advice. And on a smaller scale, I've had experience with that in the past as well.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Hosting a conference, bringing in speakers, funding their trip by the fee paying participants, and then getting them to stay for a couple of extra days to work with your staff one-to-one on the back of that. I think it's a brilliant win-win.
1: And I think also like if you can create um, partnerships with organisations who are doing those sorts of things anyway, that can be hugely helpful as well. And you can offer you know, can become a facility hub for some of those things and that there can always be benefits for your staff.
0: How does that work then, Cindy? So there's organisations that are wanting to come out and do some kind of training anyway?
1: So there might be lots of organisations that host conferences and things and are looking for a home for that conference. Um, You know, making yourself available, putting your hand up and say, hey, consider our school. We've got, you know, a lovely theatre and we've got a conference room and we've got a primary hall or whatever it is that you have. And then, um, you know, in, in return for some free places for your staff or maybe some consulting time before or after, like you talked about, um, you know, often our schools sit, you know, somewhat empty through the weekends and things. And there might be conference providers who are looking for a, a place to call home. And, then, and that's a win-win for you.
0: Absolutely. And it would be nice for the whole sector to have less conferences in hotels and more in schools.
1: Yeah and it's such a win like you get to high you know, get to sort of share your your campus highlight your staff and your school um we had a conference last year which coincided with our um fun day which is like a big old fashioned fair with rides and you know all that sort of stuff and we you know we were able to say to the participants in the conference afterwards oh go and check out the fair and you know th- those sort of things are really unique and fun that wouldn't happen in in a hotel kind of context
0: yes great for recruiting new teachers as well right they go, I'd like to come. I'd like to come and work here. I'd like
1: to go to that school.
0: <laughs> I remember I worked at the British school in Guangzhou and we had a roller coaster over the playground. Oh, wow. And we were based on a lake as well, overlooking this beautiful lake with a pagoda opposite. So we would always make sure that if there was a conference hosted there, we'd have drinks out and canopies underneath the roller coaster facing the lake. And it was a surefire way we'd have teachers applying to come to the school next year.
1: That's brilliant. I love it.
0: Well, maybe we could talk a little bit about the culture at your School of Professional Development because you mentioned it's a really supportive environment for PD and you get good support from leadership of your school. So how does Bangkok Patana foster a culture of ongoing professional development and learning amongst all its staff? I'd be interested to hear a little more.
1: Yeah, so um, we have time allocated and I think that's a, a key ring fence time is really important. And I know there's lots of models for doing that. Some people might do it, you know, every day, like once a week or something like that. Our particular model is we've got five days a year set aside for PD, teacher-only days. So we have two days at the start of the year, two days in October and a day in May. Um, so those uh, that's like ring fence time really protected and we have quite a strategic plan about what kind of PD goes on each day, the October two days in particular. You know, we do look to bring in a high-profile speaker and really go for it on those days um other ways that we build the culture we have a really thriving little program called learning for learners um and it's really simple it's teachers offering workshops to other teachers um so they you know if you've got a passion about something it might be you know you love to do podcasting or it might be that you um you know you uh you know a bit of an assessment nerd or something and you've got a new <laughs> new thing there or the one we had last week how to use clay in your classroom so like pottery. So basically Mm -hmm. the teachers contact me and they sort of say, you know, I'd love to do a learning for learners. They can run them at lunchtime or after school. Um, And then we pop them up on an online system and people can sign up. Um, And then we put on a few snacks and those teachers go and uh, run a workshop for each other. And there's probably two or three of those happening every week. And they're as diverse as the examples that I just gave them. So that's also really nice and what we try to do is if we send people on an external opportunity, so a conference or a JAWS workshop or something like that, we really encourage them strongly to come back and offer a Learn for Learners so that we can amplify the learning that they've had outside of the school through our internal programs as well. Um, And I think you mentioned it before, the socials. So that's something that we've built across the last sort of 18 months, um, really trying to up the profile of PD by Celebrating all the things that are happening all the time and the diversity of that. So, also when people go off to external opportunities, we're saying, you know, send us a photo, let's get you up on socials, and we try and celebrate it that way. And I think sort of success breeds success. So, if people see that success, they offer a little learning for learners, they get nice feedback from their colleagues, they're more willing to put their hand up again, or they go on an external thing and come back and they see themselves on the socials. It kind of builds its own momentum. So, yeah, I'd say ring fence time because that's where all time poor in schools. High profile, and also sometimes the simplest things like learning for learners is not complicated, it's just sharing among the staff themselves. I think sometimes we forget to value that internal expertise, we sort of think we have to go outside to get the best of the best. But some of our people are absolutely brilliant, they just don't have a platform to share it necessarily.
0: Yes, that's right. And as my good friend Jim Thompson always says, The answer's in the room.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I really like that your solution is just a part of what you do, almost like you're trying to create a place where PD is just part of the culture of the school. It's part of the DNA of what we do. And it's so regular, which means you've got these bite-sized things, regular, it's very visible. Yes, yeah. I mean, from an outside perspective, Cindy, I I, I don't know too much in terms of Patina, in terms of what the parents are getting. But what I see online is a lot of PD initiatives. And it makes, we feel there's a really sense of ownership of the school that we're confident about teacher PD. I think sometimes schools don't shout enough about what their teachers are doing, what they're up to in terms of their own professional learning as well. Um, And I just think it's a really fantastic model. And I'm sure listeners will be listening with lots of ideas in their head. And I can't let you go without talking about these bite-sized PD that you actually offer in your schools. Would you be able to chat a little bit
1: more about them? Yeah, so some of the things that we've tried, one of the points of philosophy that I have is you've got to meet staff where they're at. Not all staff have the time or the cognitive space really because of the nature of their role and how busy they are and also their lives outside of the school um, to, you know, engage in a big master's or take an NPQ or do something really big. They just want something that's short, sweet, accessible, they can come along and do it. So um, we set about trying to design some things that would capture that crowd. Um, And we started off with Books and Burritos, which was a program where uh, we took 40 registrations um, and the group were um, able to vote on a a book. Um, They ended up choosing um, Why Children Don't Like School by um, Mr. Willingham. And uh, then we got the books in and everyone had a period of time to read the book. And while the reading was going on, we had a little Teams uh, chat group because we're a Teams school Um, And everybody was chatting away about the things they liked about the book. And then we hosted a burrito lunch, and everyone came along and talked about the book while they're enjoying their burrito. Um, And we got lovely feedback from that event. And a lot of staff said, you know, I wouldn't necessarily read an academic nonfiction text like this, but, you know, I have done it. And we got, um, so it was a really nice sort of like a gateway drug for pd i guess is what we're doing so from there we started to uh um, experiment so we had pizza and pedagogy which is where we um if your budget doesn't stretch to you know 40 books um we gave out three journal articles quite you know quite accessible um photocopied them gave them some highlighters and some post-it notes Um, sent them away with three journal articles to read. We chose a theme. So the journal articles were all about AI. Um, And then once again, we hosted a pizza lunch and we talked about pedagogy over pizza. Um, And then the final one of the year last year was um, podcasts and pastries. So we gave them three podcasts to listen to um, and then we um, met over pastries, this time at breakfast time. Um, and had pastries and talked about podcasts. And so what we're finding is that that was drawing out from the staff a different crowd than had been previously turning up to some of our other offerings that were a little bit more intense. And it was also really fantastic because it's very social um, and some people learn best when they're in groups and they're able to talk and interact. You know, doing an online course or something like that is not for everybody. So the social aspect was really fantastic, especially in a very large school like ours. You can disappear into your department and not see people from other departments because it's such a huge campus. You've been here. Um, And so we drew everyone out of their departments and their daily life and into the cross-campus staff room to, you know, break bread together, eat food um, and really talk. And that, that in itself was absolutely lovely to see and created connections with different people across the campus. And we've kind of c- continued that. We've done donuts and documentaries, and uh, yeah. So basically, any alliterative pairing you can come up with, <laughs> we've we've given it a try. And so yeah, we'll keep rolling those out because one, they're they're uh, really accessible for people. They can kind of commit to listening to three podcasts. It's not too much of a commitment. They like the food. Food always draws the crowds, and it's hugely social. So yeah, it's it's a win for lots of people. You have the expertise inside your school. You'll be surprised at the the things that people are expert on and how willing they are to share. And, you know, if you get something on and get some momentum going, I think that's an absolute winner. I also think social media is a winner. It's very easy, doesn't cost anything to set up an account and just start celebrating your staff because the more profile you give to them, the more excited they are to be celebrated and and um they're more likely to give back by being presenters for you or putting themselves out there and they're more likely to go to events again if they feel like that they've had a great time and they've been recognised and celebrated for that too.
0: I told you, right? My mind is buzzing after that conversation with Cindy. Now, while Patna has an established culture of PD, they're still developing along the way. And I love how Cindy's ideas are both inspiring... But how a PD culture can form with areas like utilising tools that have been established on the market, but also how you can make it really accessible with small steps, such as running those small learning groups or learning sessions or engaging with those fun alliteration clubs like books and burritos or pizza and pedagogy. I think that's such a lovely low threshold way to bring a culture of learning into your school. Global Ed Leaders is hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaning, with original music by Guillerme Silva. And if you like this show, I think you'll love my newsletter. And you can access that by going to my website, shaneleaning.com or using the links in the show notes. But if we don't speak before, I'll see you here next week.